Well, good morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Scotty. Um, I get the pleasure of helping shepherd this group of people into God's vision for this church here in this community. Um, if I haven't got a chance to talk to you, stick around. I'd love to get to know you, know where you're from, what brings you here this morning. Um, but thank you for choosing to come and worship with us. So um, I'm going to share a little bit of my experience. You've all had experiences like these um, where there are just irrational things that go on in your mind that you don't really understand why they exist or, or what they exist for. Some of them have roots, some of them don't. Um, this one has a root. So in uh, uh, 2011, I was diagnosed with cancer, went through a season of chemotherapy. Thankfully, uh, that was all taken care of. I am healed. It's been 11 years now. Everything is good. Um, but in that process, going through chemotherapy, going through the cancer process and all the healing journey, they let you know that you know there are some basic signs and symptoms that the cancer might have returned and so they give you the list of things to watch out for. Um, the result of that, um, having been previously a very healthy person, the result of that was every time I had a headache, I was convinced I had a brain tumor. If my lower back was painful, I had testicular or prostate cancer. Um, if I had sniffles or my eyes were hurting, there was a tumor in there somewhere where my neck hurt, I had a neck tumor. And when I stubbed my toe, I had a toe tumor, right? So it didn't matter what it was, any ailment in my body, I automatically assumed that I had some kind of cancer and I was going to die. Slightly rational in that there were some signs and symptoms coming out of COVID, uh, coming out of cancer, the other C word that no one wants to say, um, coming out of, of cancer that, that, that made that a reality. I, I zoom back, like further back in my history, I remember having this weird thing in my life where it was kind of similar, um, and I'd have a headache, and, and, and let me give you context, right? At school, I was pretty brainy, uh, I did well in school, I was quite intelligent, and, um, but somewhere along the line, I had this thing appear in my brain that... Uh, I was going to die before I was 32 from a brain tumor. This is like, I'm like 11, 12, 15 years old. And every time, like periodically I get a sore head and I'm like, I bet you it's a brain tumor. Like I've got, a, I'm brainy. So one of these days I'm not going to make it past 32. I'm past 32, praise the Lord. Um, but I was convinced that, that God was going to take me out with a brain tumor because he'd given me a brain. Um, so there you go. Welcome to the, the life of Scott. But you know, it sounds ridiculous, you laugh about it, I get to mock myself in these moments, but we all have those things, right? Where there are these fears that exist somewhere inside of us, and we don't really know why they're there or what they're for, and when we try and voice them to someone else, we're like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, try and explain to someone why you're scared of a spider. Like, it's a tiny little thing that's crawling on the wall, but I can't be in the room, burn down the house. Like, what are you scared of? It's got legs. Okay, I've got legs. Um, yeah, we have these crazy and irrational moments. Reflecting on this last three years, one of the things, I've mentioned this in passing before, one of the things that I became really aware of and I think was very exposed over the last few years was the degree to which our culture is riddled and plagued with fear. Through COVID, through the elections, through the ice storms and the heat waves and um, and the, yeah, the ice apocalypse, the forest fires, everything, just all of these fears were raised. Think about COVID. Again, I've mentioned this before. I noticed that there are two groups of people um, who are 
completely adamant that the other group of people is wrong, but both groups both driven by fear, right? So we had one group of people that were like, I'm going to catch COVID and I'm going to die. I'm going to spread COVID to someone else and I'm going to kill everyone. I'm going to be responsible for the death of all the people in America. So I've got to wear my mask because I don't want to get it and I don't want to hurt someone. And I don't want to care. I don't want to be the cause of someone's death. And so fear mobilized a response of, I'm going to mask up. Now, there's good reasons to mask up, but there was fear. On the other side of the equation, you have this group of people going, I'm not going to wear a mask. The government's trying to control us. Fear. My freedoms are being taken away. Fear. And so we've got these groups of people fighting with each other about masks and not masks. But at the end of the day, the issue was, I'm scared of this, and I'm scared of that. And we were allowing our fears to cause division in the way that we interacted with one another. It led to greater fears. I can't be in the presence of my family because I want to wear a mask and they don't want to wear a mask or I don't want to wear a mask and they do want to wear a mask. Fear of conflict meant that we started avoiding people. We started stopping the conversations that were important because of fear. Fear has driven us in our politics. It's fears. Fears of what will happen if this person comes into power. Fears of what will happen if that person comes into power. Fear of what will happen to my money, my income, retirement. Fear of what will happen to the ethics of the society. Fear driving so much of what divides us in society. We're in this series, uh, which we're at the end of, looking at vices, and we've been using this definition. What's a vice? It's a habit or a trait that inclines us toward a certain type of action. So it's the ruts in our minds, neurologically, and through our behavior patterns that create neurological patterns in our brain that mean when we feel something, we have a default way that we end up acting toward it most often, and well, with vices all the time, away from the things God wants us to do. So today, I want to look at fear. If you look at lists of the seven deadly sins or the capital vices, you'll notice that so far we've covered eight. Uh, We've looked at pride as as the root, and then we've looked at the seven most commonly accepted uh, vices. But this one, I feel, is so prevalent in our society. And I see, as I look at teenagers growing up with the worst anxiety epidemic that our culture has had, fear is riddling our society. As I look at the political divide and the fear that lies behind it, fear is tearing the fabric of our society apart. And so I felt like this was an important one to address along with all of the others. So I'm going to define it in a little minute, but I want to look at the big picture of fear first. So when it comes to fear, there are two main types of fear, two main categories. On one hand, you've got rational fear, and on the other hand, you've got irrational fear, right? So rational fear is the healthy response, the healthy emotional response that our body has to a potentially dangerous situation. So this is the part that when someone comes running running at you with a knife, you either punch them in the face or you run out of the way, right? Um, the, The fear response that motivates us to protect ourselves when in the place of danger Irrational fears, however, are disproportionate responses to situations we face where no threat actually exists or where the threat is something imagined or something that we imagine will exist in the future, a future possibility. So we have rational fears that we experience all the time as we go through life, as, some, as you're pulling out uh, at the traffic light and this car is not slowing down enough the fear thing kicks in, are they going to hit me? And then we have all of these irrational fears that plague us 
And we don't often realize or, or take the time to understand the ways it affects our behavior and our interactions with other people and the way we live in the world. Within this uh, category of irrational fears, you've got the whole category of phobias. Uh, and and we, we say, you know, I, I've got a phobia of spiders. Really, you don't have a phobia. You've got an irrational fear of spiders. Phobias are when an irrational fear gets to the point that the fear dominates and dictates how you live your life. Um, that's when you're in the age of a true diagnosable phobia. So we've got fear, the good and bad, legitimate and irrational in our life. Fear is a helpful emotion, and this, this is one of the parts that we know well, right? The, the fight and flight response. There are actually three responses that happen that fear is given to us to help uh, initiate in order to protect us. On one side, you've got fight uh, where something happens and you run toward the danger. Um, you've got flight where something happens and you run as far away as you possibly can. And then there's a third response that we don't talk about often enough, which is the freeze response, where in the face of danger, we feel paralyzed. In the face of our fear, we feel unable to move forward. It's important to understand some of the things that go on inside your body as a fear response is triggered. So in the face of danger, you know, there's, there's two parts of your brain. There's the core of your brain, which we call the limbic system. And then there's the higher uh, functioning part of your brain, the, the, the higher cortex around it. And so all of the things that are kind of automatic in our brain tend to happen in this limbic place. So it's where our breathing is controlled. It's, it's, it's uh, what keeps our heart beating and our blood, blood pumping. Um, but fear is a limbic response. So when you feel fear, uh, this core part of your brain kicks in. Your amygdala sends a signal to your central nervous system to start releasing chemicals to make your body react. So they release cortisol and they release adrenaline into your bloodstream that get you ready to move. And you know when those things are being released because we feel physiological responses, right? Blood pressure goes up, your, uh, your heart rate starts pounding, uh, you start breathing faster, sometimes your skin gets clammy. In those moments of adrenaline, the, 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 uh, you begin to see clearer um, and, and you notice what's going on, and you're more alert and attentive to the things that are going on in your life. Um, actually, blood moves from your heart and pushes it outwards to your limbs to get your limbs ready to react physically to whatever the danger is that's in front of you. So one part of the fear response is this limbic response that releases chemicals that get your body ready to act. The other part of fear is a shutting down. As your limbic system kicks in, all of your higher cognitive functions, so your cerebral cortex, shuts down. So your ability to rationalize and explain things and think deeply disappears. So in those moments of fear, we have this double thing where our body's kicking into this fight, flight, or, uh, or fight or flight scenario, and all of our ability to think and process and rationalize and understand disappears. Now think about the things that we're called to do in our faith. How many of the things that we do are things that just happen as a gut response to the events in our life and how many of them are a reasoned response to the things that God is requiring us to do? Fear so often shuts down the very elements of our body that we're supposed to be using to walk in our faith. So let me look at fear. That's fear as it exists as a healthy response in our body. Let's look at fear as a vice because this is slightly different. Fear as a vice is the evasion of imagined threats 
that undermines our ability to act according to our values or our ideals. Fear is evading an imagined or a perceived or an invisible future threat in a way that undermines our ability to act according to our values. Uh, Extra problematic when you think about the Christian values we're called to walk in as we follow Jesus. Fear as a vice creates an imaginary threat and exerts its energy to avoid it and in the process undermines all of the Christian values that we say we're supposed to be about. It can, this fear can result in similar responses as we feel fear um, and it drives our body. We can have similar responses, but the behavior here often causes us to act contrary to what God wants us to do. One writer said, in our modern lives where the threat of saying something embarrassing in a meeting is more prevalent than being eaten by a tiger, our systems can go into overdrive trying to fend off potential or future dangers. We don't live in a society where we're risking our life every day. Sadly, we don't live, well, sadly is not the right word. In other places in the world, people live their faith every day, risking their life every time they pick up their Bible to read, or they gather with other believers to pray and to worship, or they share the gospel. We don't live in a world where our faith often causes our life to be at stake. And so what happens in a world where fear, where, where the threat to our life is diminished is we create all sorts of other things to be afraid of that hinder the way God wants us to walk. Let me look at a couple of examples in popular culture just for fun, lighten the mood a little bit. Um, we see it all over the place and, and movies and sitcoms love to, to portray these people. A good one, Monica Geller from Friends. Right, a fear-driven woman, the clean freak. I love this picture, right? She's vacuuming her vacuum cleaner to make sure the vacuum cleaner is clean. She is obsessed with getting everything right. She's a perfectionist. She's a neat freak. Everything has to go the right way. And when things are dirty and things don't go the way she wants, she's freaking out. Uh, She's uh, having massive conflict moments with people. She's blowing up relationships all because of this inner fear that drives her to have to obsessively clean and organize her life. A more recent story that maybe you don't think through the lens of fear is Frozen. This picture of Elsa as a small girl. She's had this moment um, where playing with her power to control the ice, um, she hurts her sister. And from that moment on, lives in fear of what's going to happen if she unleashes this power. Her parents convince her that she's got to hide it. They wear gloves to mask it. And the whole story is her living in this fear of what's going to happen if she leans into it. Leading up to this moment where she decides to let it all go. And and to some degree goes to the opposite extreme and is just like, I'm going to be my own person and do whatever I want until she learns that love is the thing that's going to manage her ability to control this power that she's been given. Another way that we see its power in popular culture is the entire insurance industry exists to make money based on our fears, right? So let me, this, what I'm not saying is, so cancel all your insurance policies, drive with no insurance, have no life insurance, have no retirement. I'm not saying any of that. But just think for a moment, Insurances that are sold to us that prey on our fears. Buy this warranty because if you don't, your dishwasher might break before the year is up and then what are you going to do? An imagined threat. Um, 
our life insurance. Something might happen to you, so you'd better have life insurance. You've got to have health insurance. Something might happen. You've got to have liability insurance. Someone might come after you. Um, make sure when you're going overseas you have travel insurance because what happens if you're over there and someone cuts your toe off and you catch gangrene from a river and you die? Who's going to bring your body back? <laughs> a whole industry that markets to us based on raising the fears that exist inside of us. There are so many products that we spend money on because the advert that, that we watch, the commercial we watch, raises a fear in us. Fear that we don't have what we need. Fear that we're not going to look good enough. Fear that when you're doing athletics, women, something's going to happen. If you don't have the right sanitary product, then it's going to be super embarrassing. They raise these fears that, that, that make us spend money on things that we don't need and don't want. Fear drives so much of our society. And a lot of the time, we don't understand the extent of the fear that we're caught up in. With all of these vices, we've looked at a spectrum, right? So with fear, there's also a spectrum, two ways that we respond to fear. So on one side of the spectrum, you've got cowardice, right? I feel fear, and so I cower, and I hide, and I run from anything that scares me. On the other side of the spectrum, you've got bravado. I'm going to pretend that nothing scares me. I'm going to jump off buildings. I'm going to do things that are reckless. I'm going to act rashly to try and portray that I'm not afraid of anything. Both sides of the spectrum driven by fear. I want to give you a list of fears because there are irrational fears like the fear of spiders and things like that, but there are a lot of internal fears that we wrestle with. Look at some of these. Which of these are true of you? The fear of being wrong, of being imperfect, the fear of rejection that stops us asking someone out or stops us sharing our faith. The fear of having our brokenness exposed, fear of failure, inadequacy, insignificance, the fear of being needy or seen as needy, the fear of being dispensable, of not knowing enough, not having enough, not being enough, the fear of lack of safety, of lack of security, of being betrayed, of hurting people, fear of conflict, fear of commitment, which is really a fear of loss of freedom. The whole formal culture, fear of missing out. Like I've got to, I can't make any commitments because I might miss out on something important. All the way down to the fear of the unknown. We're so riddled with fear. And these are fears that are deep and seated in our identity. And we spend so much of our life buying products, building relationships, building careers, building houses, or distancing ourselves from people, sleeping around, trying to alleviate these fears rather than going to the one who can alleviate them properly. Um, I, uh, five days a week, I'm in these da daily prayer calls for half an hour in the morning, and um, we look at different spiritual formation writings, we pray through scripture, we intercede for the world. Um, and a couple of months ago, this quote was shared, and I've sat with it for the last two months, and we've sat with it as a leadership team. Daniel and I have debated this in the office. But this was shared, and, and, and it, it really moved me. Uh, Eckhart Tolle said, if uncertainty is unacceptable to me, it turns into fear. If uncertainty is perfectly acceptable to me, it turns into increased aliveness, alertness, and creativity. What I like about this quote is, you know, so much in life is uncertain. Is this person going to reject me or not? 
Is my sin going to be exposed or not? Am I adequate or am I not? Am I good enough or am I not? We can live in those uncertainties. We can choose to say uncertainty is not okay and allow fear to plague our life. Or we can say, you know, it's okay to have these things in our life and allow it to inspire alertness and aliveness and creativity in us. If you think about the list that we just looked at, I guess in this, you could replace this word uncertainty with almost any of the issues that we looked at. If being needy is unacceptable to me, it turns into fear. But if being needy and having needs is perfectly acceptable, it can produce aliveness and alertness and creativity. If conflict is unacceptable to me, it will turn into fear. But if conflict is perfectly acceptable to me, it will bring aliveness and alertness and creativity. We allow these fears to rob us of the life and the attentiveness and the creativity that God has for us. So that's setting it up. Let's jump into the Bible, which is where we really want to be. Um, and just look at where this comes from, right? Let's go back to the beginning. We'll see over and over again with these vices and with everything that we're going to talk about as a church, that all of it has its origin back at the beginning. So number one, fear is the result of the fall. If you go to Genesis 1, how's the story go? The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We've talked about that response before. They feel shame and they cover. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I always call this my, the saddest part of the Bible. It breaks my heart every time. God was there. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but God called to them. Where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Up to this point, Adam and Eve living free of fear in the garden, able to be themselves. They didn't worry about rejection. They didn't worry about whether they were good enough or not. They didn't worry that someone was going to hurt them, that if they disagreed, that it was going to result in a breach of relationship. They didn't have any of those fears. Then the enemy tempted them. Hey, there's this thing that you can have. It's called the knowledge of good and of evil. Right now, you only know one side of that equation. God is holding out on you. And in that temptation, Satan instills in Eve a fear that God has held something back, that there is more that she could have, that she is not enough without this knowledge. And out of that fear that is raised, she steps forward, takes the fruit and eats it. Gives it to her husband and he eats it. And then this horrible moment where God is walking in the garden as he always did with them. I say this every time I get to this point in the story, right? I imagine Adam and Eve in the garden, they've, they've uh, tasted a new fruit on a different tree and God comes walking through the garden. And it's like, God, look at this thing. It's purple. It tastes so good. And, uh, and I've called it a grape. And God's like, well done. That's an awesome name. And this one time they're doing something in the garden, they've covered up, they're feeling a little more nervous and then they hear God in the garden and rather running to God, rather than running to God, God, look what I did today, I can't wait to hear from you. They hide because they feel fear and it disrupts the relationship with one another. 
It disrupts the relationship with God, and it prevents them from living the calling that God gave them on the world to govern and to guide and to shepherd. Fear is a result of the fall. I think it's interesting. Number two, the most common command in Scripture is, do not be afraid. Over 300 variations. There's like, some say don't fear. Some say 300. There is like a popular Christian culture thing that says there's 365 occurrences of this in the Bible, one for every day of the year. I don't know where they got that from. I can't find that anywhere. But there's over 300. There's a lot of them. These commands in Scripture, do not be afraid. God, the most given command in Scripture. God understands that fear is a problem. And so the command he has to give his people most often is not to be. And most of the time when that command is given, it comes with a, a disclaimer or a qualifier or a reason. Do not be afraid for I am with you. My presence will go with you. Do not be afraid. We live in a world that tells us to be afraid because something bad might happen. The wrong political party might be in power. Your retirement might collapse. Your dishwasher might break. The girl that you're interested in might reject you if you let her know. The job that you're seeking might not fall through. If you're in a job that you hate and you decide to apply for another one, it might fall apart and you'll be left with nothing. The world, it plagues us with fear. But God knew that those things would happen and gives us these constant commands. Some, some favorite passages in Scripture, right? These are ones that you'll know. Many people have these memorized. Um, Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, Joshua, as he's taken leadership of Israel? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. There's verses everywhere. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And there's loads of them. There's over 300 of these that we can look at. Where God reassures us that we don't need to be caught in fear because of his presence. Number three, to say this more explicitly, fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is the polar opposite of faith, and it's how it's portrayed in Scripture. Fear opposes our trust in God. You think back to Eden. What was the fear that was instilled in Eve was a failure to trust that God knew what was best and cared for her and had given her everything that she needed for life and for godliness and to live in the garden. She doubted God, her trust eroded, and out of fear she acted. Fear is the enemy of her faith. Look at this moment in Mark's gospel. Jesus um, th this moment as he's interacting with his disciples. So Mark 4 says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Uh, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall or storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I wish I could have the confidence in God that would allow me to take a nap in the middle of the greatest storms. 
the disciples woke Jesus and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Again, like there's some reality in the storm, maybe we'll drown, but this is an irrational fear of a reality that may not happen. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, it was completely calm. And Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have so little faith? Fear is the enemy of faith. So they were terrified even more (laughs) and asked each other, who is this then that even the wind and the waves obey him? Philippians 4, another one that we know so well. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Instructions about his presence, right? Do not be anxious or fearful of anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, express your trust in the God who has you firmly in the palm of his hand. With prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God and know that peace that transcends understanding will come, not just rest on you, but guard your heart against fear and its effects and guard your mind against fear and its effects. Matthew 6, another similarly uh, nuanced passage, right? Matthew 6, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Think of some of the fears here. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or about your body and what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying or fearing add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers in the field grow, they don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. So if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, fear and faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things. Your heavenly father knows your needs, but his kingdom and his righteousness and all the rest will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow can worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry. Don't be riddled by fear. What's the solution he gives? Seek the kingdom instead of the things that you're fearing. Instead of fearing whether this relationship is going to work out or not, seek the kingdom and the one relationship that can satisfy your needs. Instead of fearing that you're not adequate enough to do the things that you're supposed to do in the world, trust God and his truth that he has made you adequate and that all of your areas of inadequacy, his power can come upon you to enable you to do the things that you're called to do. Seek first his kingdom and all the rest will come. We could think about the story of David and Goliath as an example of fear. First Samuel 17, I'm not going to go through it because it's long. But what's the story in this part of the passage? The Philistines are challenging the Israelites. Now, to get them, they bring this champion, Goliath the giant, and they, they make this barter. So here's what happens. You choose one person. Here's our one person. They can fight it out, and whoever wins is the victor, and the other people become enslaved. 
And this champion Goliath comes out every day and the people of Israel see him and they're terrified. It says they saw him and they tremble in their boots. They're afraid. And then one day David is sent to take provisions to his brothers. He ends up on the front line of the battle. He hears Goliath come out mocking God and mocking the people of Israel. And he's like, who's fighting him? And everyone's like, oh, none of us. And David's like, I'll do it. 15, 16-year-old boy out in the field. And, and, and it's like Saul uh, says to him, well, you're too young to do that. And he goes, well, I'm out in the field and I fight lions and God helps me. I fight off bears and God helps me. Like I've fought things bigger and nastier than, than me uh, and God's helped me. So if he can do that there, he'll do that here. He said, I'm not afraid. And so then he walks out into this battle armed with his sling and a few stones And Goliath starts mocking him. Who's this scrawny little mutt that's coming out with a stick thinking that he can take me down? And David, with all confidence, says, you might come with your giant sword and all your your strength and might. He's like, but I come in the name of the God of Israel. (laughs) Takes the guy down, slices off his head. That's how the story goes. One group of people riddled by fear led them to inaction and inability to act on behalf of God and defend his name. One small kid comes with an element of faith and is able to take down the enemy of Israel and save the people from the Philistines. Fear versus faith. So often we allow fear to take control of our hearts and our minds and prevent us from doing the things that we really care about. Rick Warren from Saddleback Church says, fear is a self-imposed prison that will keep you from becoming what God intends for you to be. Your fear that you fuel, there's a great book about feeding the wolves. These wolves inside that we feed is a self-imposed prison that is stopping you from getting all that God wants you to do. You know, we grow our faith by using it. If you work out, which clearly I do, not, (laughs) it's a goal. Uh, If you work out, one of the principles of working out is that you go to the gym, you start lifting weights to the point that your muscles can't lift anymore. And grossly, what actually is happening in that process is the, the fibers in your muscles tear. And then as you rest those muscles then recover by rebuilding and reattaching. And in that process, the thickness of the muscle is rebuilt. In in bodybuilding, it's called the failure point. So you want to take your muscles to the failure point. And at that point of failure is where your muscles then have the ability to to break. They regrow. If you do it too much, your bilirubin levels go up. And it's really not good for your liver. Um, But it's, it's the failure point that causes muscular growth. When it comes to our faith, it's the failure point of our faith that also is where our faith muscle grows. So most often we have to step out of what's comfortable and into the places that are risky and that elicit fear in us. And those places when our faith starts to falter are the very moment where God's spirit comes in and rebuilds that faith muscle by showing that he's enough to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish through you. That's the beauty of these people that leave the comfort of American soil and go to places at the end of the earth 
where Christians are persecuted and they take their life into their hands every day sharing the gospel, stretching themselves with fear and trepidation and then they come back here on their visits and they tell us the stories and we're like, these guys are like superheroes in the faith. I could never be like them. They're ordinary people who have stretched themselves, partnered with God and allowed their faith muscle to be built. It's the same as people here. You know, we came out of COVID. There's, there's people in our midst that, that riddled by fear stayed away from church. You know that moment where you stepped back into society for the first time because you felt like gathering with the people of God was more important than being at home watching it alone? And because of that value to gather with the people of God, you take a risk and you come back into the people of God. That's a stretching moment that builds your faith. And in our life, we have opportunities every single day, multiple times to allow our faith to be stretched as we step out and face our fear. Last point for the morning. Faith in God is where we overcome this fear. Scripture says this way, God's love drives out our fear. Fear and faith. Love versus fear. First John 4. We know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God is in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There's a thing that exists in the church that we refer to as a religious spirit. The spirit of religiosity. We look at God as the hard taskmaster who's up there in the sky ready to punish us at any moment for the things we do wrong. And out of fear, we try and serve him. That's not the image scripture wants us to have. It's of the loving father who delights in us, who gifts us and empowers us and partners with us out in the world to share that love with other people around us. It's his love in us that motivates us to go out and overcome the obstacles that we're facing. Paul writing to Timothy puts it this way. He says, for this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gifts that you've been given that you received when I laid my hands on you. For for the spirit God gave us is not a spirit, some translations say, it's not a spirit of fear, It's not a spirit that makes us timid, but it's one that gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Just to help you remember this, one of my favorite moments at a church in Scotland, they would do memory verses with the kids, and they would have the kids come up with actions to help them learn the memory verse. And so they would say, okay, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so uh, they said, what are the actions? And my favorite part in this whole passage was God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, (laughs) love, and self-discipline. I thought that was awesome. The the but of power in scripture. We're not called to have fear, but power, love, and self-control. This is what he's given us. He gives us love that removes fear. We don't have to worry. Is it gonna work out? He cares for us 
and is going to make sure that we're okay and that we have enough. Doesn't mean everything's going to go the way that we want it to go, but he guarantees that if things are painful, he'll use them redemptively. That where we suffer, reward will be the result. He promises that he will go with us, that he'll empower us, and that he'll never reject us, that nothing can separate us from him. So why do we fear? In pre-service prayer, so we do uh, 9 to 9.40 every Sunday. We gather here to pray. Everyone is welcome. My dream is that every single person would come and join us as we intercede for the service and intercede for the world around us. Um, And we take time at the end of the time of prayer to just sit quietly and say, God, is there anything specific that you want to speak to us this morning? Anything you want to put on our hearts? And we pay attention to scriptures that come to mind and people that come to mind and situations that come to mind. And some people have a more vivid imagination and they they think in terms of images and pictures. and, And we share some of those things for multiple weeks. When, when I get to that time and we stop and be, be quiet, the thing that God keeps saying is, there is more. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> I know that, but what about it? He's like, there's more. Like, there's more for the church. There is more for your life. There is more for your family. There's more for your grandkids. There's more for you in your work. And this morning, I was like, but I know there's more and I want more for us. And he said, how badly do you want it? How badly do you want the more that he has for you? Do you want your family to come to Jesus enough that you're willing to risk them not liking what happens when you share your faith? Do you want growth enough that you're willing to risk persecution for the sake of the gospel? Do you want more growth and more intimacy with God enough that you'll set aside five minutes every morning to be in the word and steep in it? Do you want it enough that you're willing to open your checkbook and invest money in the things that you need in order to grow the way you want to grow? Our fears will always hinder our ability to become who God wants us to be unless we allow ourselves to be steeped in his love. So what's the cure? A couple of things to finish with here. The first one is simply courage. Courage is the virtue that stands in the way of our fear. It's that moment of stepping out in bravery, knowing that God will give us the courage needed to overcome the things that we're struggling with. We need courage. And the word encouragement is to come alongside someone else to give them courage. We need to be a church that's not tearing one another down, but coming alongside to give people the boldness to do the things that they feel called to. I think we can be guilty in the church of, hey, that's a great idea, but I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if people will show up. I don't know if you've got enough. I don't know if we have enough money. What if instead of saying, Well, here's all the reasons that it wouldn't work. We said, let me give you encouragement and send you out to do the thing that you're called to do. What would happen in our church? Number two, admit your fears. And this may be the hardest one of everything that's here. Sometimes admitting our fears is going to require a counselor to help us get to the bottom of what the fear is. 
Every time I'm home with family, there's conflict, I withdraw. I just don't feel like I'm myself around that group of people. And I just don't understand why. I get with a counselor or a wise spiritual mentor and say, help me understand what fear is driving my behavior. When you hoard stuff, material possessions, get with someone and say, help me understand what the fear is that is fueling my behavior. Admit it. Take it to God. Take it to some trusted people. And then you know where you need to start leaning into your faith. Persevere. Uh, I think this is a forgotten discipline in the world today. Uh, I love this word in Greek. I've said this before, that the word persevere is hupomene. So it's made up of two words, the prefix hupo, and then the word meno. And the word meno is the word that's translated in John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, in you, then ask whatever you will and it'll be given to me. Abide in the vine. That word abide, to remain, to per, is the word meno. And the word hypo is the word that we, we get the prefix, like hypo, hypoglycemic, like your blood sugar is low. So it means under your remaining. So the word perseverance is literally remain under the hard thing. And scripture tells us that suffering will produce perseverance. If you remain under your suffering, you'll get perseverance. And through that perseverance, your character builds. And through character building, hope exists. And that hope doesn't disappoint. Why? Because God has poured his love into our hearts by his spirit whom he's given us. So the fear of suffering, if you press through it and persevere under it, leads to more love and faith burst in our life. Remain under the hard things. Press in. Two more. Three more. Meditate on God's truth. Like I've given some great scriptures in here that are good ones to memorize. Write them on index cards, put them in your car, uh, put them wherever it is that you go where you feel afraid. Memorize these scriptures, remind yourself. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, courageous, for I, the Lord your God, am with you everywhere you go. Memorize them, reflect on them. Trust. Trust his word. Trust his presence. I love this image, right? The innocence of a tiny child. They can do nothing but trust their parent. That's the way it's supposed to be. Trust that he is with you in those moments of fear. As your body starts to react, the best thing you can do is close your eyes and start taking some deep breaths. Breath prayers are amazing for this. You just breathe in. You're God, and I trust you. You're God, and I trust you. Trust that he's there and that he's present. And the last one, which is a summary of all of these and really the summary of everything we've talked about so far, look up. Look up. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of the world, off of the brokenness that we see, back onto the eyes of the Savior who called us and made us his. Let me pray. God, if we're honest with ourselves, there is way too much in our life that is driven by fear. If we're honest, eh, there are many ways that we hide it from the people around about us. God, we need your help. You tell us not to be afraid, but we're afraid. And so God, we need the things that you promise in scripture. You say, do not be afraid for I am with you. So God, what, we need, what we're holding you to is that in those moments of fear, you will show your presence. 
If it's your love that casts out fear, God, we need a fresh experience of your love. God, if it's love that casts out fear, then in our relationships, we need to learn to love one another better, to remove the fear and the insecurity in order to be who you've called us to be. So God, we uh, come alongside that historic prayer of the disciples. Multiple times they said, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Lord, increase our faith to do the things that you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've done every week, I want you to just take a moment, turn to someone next to you. What is challenging you? What is stirring in you? Uh, Share that for a moment in response to the sermon and then take a moment and pray together and then we'll worship.